You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. so enjoyed this journey that we've been on over the past few weeks as we've been learning what it means to be planted. Um, Starting at the beginning of the year, we had our our fresh start fast where we talked about our theme for the year being planted. And then we started this series right afterwards um, to understand what being planted means. Because I believe that 2023 is going to be a year of growth. Every pastor says that every single year, but nothing grows without first being planted. Nothing grows without first being planted. And so we've been looking uh, at what exactly that means. And we've been using the real world plant life cycle as kind of like a a guide to help us along the way. Um, Because this this plant life cycle that we see happen all around us uh, is pretty reflective and not all that different from our spiritual growth and the cycle that we go through. Um, Right? As followers of Jesus, all, all plants, and here it is, we've got a, a picture for you. All plants start out as what? Seeds, right? Which contain the potential, everybody say potential, for a full-grown plant of some kind. And when those seeds are planted, they go through a, a process of, of germination, which unlocks that hidden potential. Uh, and then there's a process of growth and maturing. And then pollination, which is the purpose of reproduction and bearing fruit, which contain more seeds. The next generation of plants, which will start the cycle all over again, right? And, and we, we, we go through a, a similar process in our spiritual journey too. Like plants, all people start out as seeds. God has put within every single person the potential to grow the kingdom of God. And every single person, whether they're following them actively in that moment or not, uh, God has put within every person the potential to grow the kingdom of God. But in order for that potential to be unlocked, we too must be planted in faith and trusting God, which is salvation or the equivalent of germination. And as we go through our growth process, we become more and more like Jesus, right, which the Bible calls sanctification. And our goal for growing is to be fruitful and multiply, to reproduce the image of God and the kingdom of God in the world around us. And so each week, as we've gone along the way, we've looked at each phase of the plant life cycle in parallel to our own spiritual growth so that we can evaluate where are we in this cycle? Are we planted? Are we rooted? Are we growing and maturing? Are we reproducing the image and kingdom of God? Now, if you've missed any of our messages so far, maybe you're coming in for the first time for this series, um, thankfully you can go to our website, centralcityonline.org, or you can, uh, on any podcast platform that you listen to, you can search for Central City Assembly. We've got them all right there, so you can go back and listen. Um, but today, we're bringing the series to a close, which is always a grieving thing for pastors whenever, um, you know, we have to close out a series. 
um, partly because I only kind of know where we're going next, and now i got to figure that out. Um, but we're bringing it to a close, and we're talking about growing the kingdom of God, um, which is also the title of today's message, Growing the Kingdom. Now, we've been talking about that. We're going to get a little bit more specific, and because this is the goal of our growing. And the reason God created us was not to only reflect his image and his kingdom in the world around us, but to reproduce his image and kingdom in the world around us. But I think for many Christians, um, their understanding and perception of what growing the kingdom of God looks like, it's too small. It's too small. And it's not always in line with God's vision for growing his kingdom. And so we're going to talk about gardens and seedless fruit today. And why growing gardens and producing seedless fruit, it falls short in fulfilling God's vision for growing his kingdom in all of the world. And now that I have your peak, your interest peaked just a little bit, um, let's pray. Let's ask God to, to lead us and guide us in this last uh, sermon for this series. Lord, we are incredibly grateful. We're humbled. We're in awe of you, God, that you would wake us up this morning You'd give us the privilege and the honor to gather with our brothers and sisters in Christ to worship you, to sing praises to you, to receive from you. And we ask that you would do that in us today, that you would help us to, to be open to everything that you want to teach us, or that we would receive and then leave this place ready to grow your kingdom, to live as you've called us to live, because our world, our world needs your kingdom, God. We need all of the goodness that you have. We need your presence. We need your transformation. And so we say yes and amen to that, God, this morning. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you just turn to somebody sitting next to you and say, hey, I'm so glad you're here this morning. <clears throat> All right, so if our goal, um, if our goal for growing is to ultimately grow the kingdom, and that is our goal, okay? I'm just going to tell you that that's our goal. If our goal for growing is to grow the kingdom, um, then what does that look like? What part do we play in seeing that goal achieved in the world? Um, well, I think that, that we all, we need to start with ourselves first, right? If, if the kingdom of God isn't growing inside of us, we can't expect it to grow in the world around us, or at least for us to have a part in that. Right? It needs to grow in us first, and that's what we've been primarily focusing on over the past few weeks. We need to make sure that, that we, first and foremost, are planted, rooted, growing, and bearing fruit. But growing the kingdom can't end just within ourselves. Right? We're also called to partner with God in growing the kingdom in the world around us, too. And growing the kingdom is actually a mandate from God for his people. Okay, um, like we talked about last week, the first commandment that God gives Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. It applies to us as well. Or we can look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, where Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Uh, or also at the end of Matthew in chapter 28, verse 19, you probably know it, where Jesus says, Go, therefore, and what? Make disciples of all nations. Or in Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul tells Christians that 
not only has the gospel of the kingdom of God come to them, but in verse 6 it says, in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. It's, it's growing. The kingdom of God is supposed to grow not only in us, but also to grow in the world around us. And we get the privilege of partnering with God and seeing his kingdom grow all over the world. And if we relate it back to the plant world, like Paul does in Colossians, um, then we should envision the kingdom of God as like a global ecosystem. Right? This, this massive wild forest that, that is growing and spreading all over the world. Right? Can you envision that? Can you see that in your mind's eye? But instead of envisioning the kingdom of God as this global ecosystem, I think many Christians, especially in Western cultures, um, they envision the kingdom of God as more like a backyard garden. A backyard garden. What do I mean by that? Well, think about backyard gardens. Maybe you have one at your house where there's flowers or fruits and vegetables. Right? They're typically small and they're relatively easy to manage. Uh, you've got a few raised garden beds where you're growing a few varieties of, of fruits and vegetables. And you typically grow enough produce uh, just for you and your family. Um, but if, you, if your garden is doing really well, like it's, it's, you've had a lot of rain, you've put a lot of manure, fertilizer, all of that, then maybe you have some extra and you can share with your neighbors and friends around you. Right? Um, backyard gardens, they're also these closed systems. Right, the growth that happens in them, it, it's restricted to one location, and it doesn't really spread or grow beyond the boundaries of the garden. And so how does this relate to growing the kingdom of God? Well, I think some Christians think of growing the kingdom as like growing a backyard garden. Right? I'm, I'm going to make sure that I am implanted, rooted, growing, and bearing fruit in my own life. You know, I'm also going to make sure that, that my kids, my family, they're planted, rooted, growing, and bearing fruit in their lives. And so we're going to go to church. Uh, we're going to tithe. We're going to read our Bibles. We're going to pray before our meals and before bedtime. And if we have extra time, you know what we're going to do? Um, we're going we're to do some charitable, charitable work. We're going to do some good deeds from time to time. And in this instance, the kingdom of God is growing, but it's this contained closed system. There, there is kingdom reproduction. There is fruit, but it's only within the individual. It stays within the boundaries of the home and the family. It's a lot like a backyard garden. Do you see that? Right? And, and listen, don't get me wrong. None of that is wrong or bad, right? But is that the vision of growth that our mighty God has for his kingdom? Is that the vision presented to us in scripture like we just read? And simply put, when has a backyard garden ever benefited or, or impacted more than just the individual or the family tending to it? Right? We can't settle for backyard gardens when God envisions and calls us to play a part in growing this global ecosystem, a massive wild forest that is growing and spreading all throughout the world. Do you see it? Do you see it? You're following so far. You're a little quiet. Okay, that's all right. Um, I know you're thinking. That's what's going on. So not only um, have many Christians settled for backyard gardens, uh, but many have also settled for seedless fruit. Seedless fruit. Now, we've all enjoyed seedless fruit before, I'm assuming. Um, I've had many different kinds of seedless fruit. Seedless watermelon, seedless grapes, seedless oranges. Those are my favorite, right? Um, I would much rather eat a seedless orange over a seeded one. 
Because who enjoys chomping down on a bitter orange seed? Nobody, right? And you don't have to worry about spitting seeds out after every single bite. They're convenient, right? But, but plants that bear seedless fruit, um, they don't grow naturally in the world. I don't know if you knew that. Um, they're made. Scientists have to genetically modify fruit plants so that they produce these seedless fruit. You can't go buy a package of seeds that will grow a plant that bears seedless fruit because there are no seeds. It breaks the laws of nature, right? Um, it, it defies the laws of nature. And really, people have been growing seedless fruit for thousands of years. I don't know if you knew that. The Romans, the ancient Romans, were the first to grow seedless grapes. Hey, you learn something new every single day. Right? And we've been enjoying their convenience ever since. And while seedless fruit are convenient for consumption, you can't grow a forest from seedless fruit. Right? Plants that grow seedless fruit, they're unable to continue the plant life cycle and reproduce more plants like itself because there are no seeds. Right? And so a plant that produces seedless fruit, it's essentially sterile. And that's the words that agriculturalists will use, botanists, they'll call it sterile. It can't make offspring. And if that plant dies, that's the end of its legacy. It can't contribute to the plant life cycle anymore. Because okay? listen, bearing fruit alone is not what leads to more plants. It's the seeds within the fruit that continues the cycle and leads to more plants. And just a side note, if you think about it, um, can seedless fruit even be called fruit? Because isn't the very definition of a fruit have to do with seeds? Go look it up. Side note. Anyways, now, can we make a connection between seedless fruit and growing the kingdom of God? We can, and I'm going to, okay? Um, because, and unfortunately... There are many Christians who bear fruit, but it's seedless fruit in their lives. Right? They profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They have Christ-like character, like we talked about last week. Um, they, they even make Christ-like contributions in the world um, in the form of good deeds and, and service. And listen, that is fruit, all right. right. But they've never shared the gospel with another person. They've never led someone to Christ or made a disciple. They have no spiritual offspring. And in this way, they are sterile, seedless fruit Christians. Right? And when they die and they go to be with the Lord, and they will be with the Lord, but their spiritual legacy is over. It's done. And they're no longer contributing to that spiritual growth cycle, leading to more plants, leading to more believers. Right? Because it's not bearing fruit alone that leads to more plants. It's producing seeds that continues the cycle and leads to more plants. And so the kingdom of God cannot grow and spread throughout the whole world as God envisions for it to grow from seedless fruit. And we can't settle for seedless fruit. Our goal as followers of Jesus and as partners in growing the kingdom of God must be to not only produce fruit, but to also produce seeds so that the spiritual growth cycle continues from one generation to the next, from one generation to the next. Right? Our goal should be to not only grow the kingdom of God in ourselves, while that is good, but to also do our part to see the kingdom of God grow in other people and us contributing to that. And so if we want to see 
um, God's glorious vision for growing his kingdom. And it is a glorious vision. Not just in ourselves, but all over the world. We can't settle for backyard gardens. And we can't settle for seedless fruit. We must think and envision global ecosystem, a massive wild forest that grows and spreads all over the world. We must forsake the convenience of seedless fruit and embrace the necessity of spiritual legacy. Are you, you following with me this morning? Okay. And really, what we're talking about, when we're talking about growing the kingdom of God all over the world, is seeing more people follow Jesus. Right? Making more Christians. Making more disciples. And that can only happen through evangelism and discipleship. That's it. Sharing the gospel. Right? Asking people to be a part of God's kingdom. And when they say yes, teaching them how to follow Jesus. There is no other way. This is the only plan for growing the kingdom that Jesus, our king and master, has given us. There's no plan B. There's only one. Right? If we read Matthew 24, verse 14, again, Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be what? Proclaimed. Proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. He doesn't add another plan or another option for growing the kingdom. It must be proclaimed. Or if we read Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20 again, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples uh, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And he doesn't add another option, another plan for growing the kingdom here either. It's make disciples. Okay, the only way we are given for growing the kingdom is to verbally proclaim the gospel and faithfully make disciples. And this isn't something that only a few in the church are called to do. Every single disciple, every single follower of Jesus is called to take this on personally and to grow the kingdom in this way. Proclaim the gospel, make disciples, that's it. Right? And, and you know what I, I find kind of interesting? And pastors probably wouldn't like me teaching this. But um, what I find interesting is that inviting people to church isn't even part of the plan. You're not going to find in the Bible a verse, a single verse that says, go therefore and invite your brothers and sisters to church. It's not there. It's nowhere to be found. Uh, and that's good. We should do that. But the point I'm trying to make is that many Christians believe that if they simply invite people to church, then they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to be discipled from pastor's sermons, right? And then boom, their contribution to growing the kingdom is done. That's it. Right? They've fulfilled their duty. Listen, it's this kind of thinking that has led to backyard gardens and seedless fruit in the church. None of us, you don't get a pass on personal evangelism and disciple making because you invite people to church. That's not part of our king and master's plan. The verses again, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Go, therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And we can add one of my favorites, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It doesn't get much clearer than this. Verse 8, but you, who? You, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon who? You, right? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Who? 
you, me. Yes, this is plan A, and Jesus doesn't give us a plan B if it doesn't work. That's it. I know I'm, I'm coming on pretty strong. Okay, I'll admit it. Come on, I'm pretty heavy with all of this. And that's because this is so important, and the church, unfortunately, has gotten this wrong for far too long. And I'm preaching to myself too. Okay, listen, I don't get a pass either on personal discipleship and personal evangelism simply because I'm a pastor and I preach the gospel and teach the Bible every single Sunday. I don't get a pass. If I'm not praying for the lost, if I am not sharing the gospel, telling my neighbors about Jesus, right, if I'm not seeking to be a witness in the world around me, then I can't expect you to do that. And even worse, I'm a hypocrite because I'm settling for backyard gardens and seedless fruit too. Right, so I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning. I'm not excluding myself. We're all in this together. Right, but part of the problem is that many pastors, they are okay with the, you just invite them to church and I'll do the rest of the work. A lot of churches are okay with that. Right, but I don't want that for us, church family, because we don't see that in the Bible either. Right, the regular gathering of the body, like what we do every single Sunday, listen, it is not for winning the lost. This right here is not for winning the lost. It's for first, worshiping God, second, equipping the saints, and third, so that the saints can go out of the church and win the lost. And that's the order, one, two, three. You can't, you can't change the order. And this is where the, the seeker-sensitive movement has gotten things wrong. They had a place, they had a time, and it was good stuff that happened, right? But they got the purpose of the gathering out of order. Right? They said, let, they flipped things around. They said, let's just fill the church with a lot of lost people. Pastor, he'll do the preaching. He'll do the, the, the soul winning. And then if we have time, if it fits within our preaching calendar, then we'll equip the saints. Then we'll do that. Right? And, and, and now... After years of churches trying to implement the seeker-sensitive model, we're left with so many Christians who've settled for backyard gardens and seedless fruit, and they don't know how to share the gospel or make disciples. And we're scratching our heads, and we're like, why is the church in the West declining? Because that's not the plan that Jesus gave us. That's not what he taught us. That's not the way of the king and growing his kingdom. Okay, but the, but the other part of the problem is that we don't teach personal evangelism and disciple-making in church enough. Right? Sure, maybe you've heard the sermons. You need to go tell people about Jesus. Right? You need to go witness and, and make disciples. How many of us have heard that before? But probably not as much as the, you just invite them to church and I'll take care of everything else. Probably is not, not as much as that. But how often do we hear a practical message on how to share the gospel and make disciples? They're rare and few and far between. Well, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to end our time together with. Um, can I do my job and equip the saints this morning? Is that okay? Is that all right? I, I want to give you a really practical tool that will help you in the area of personal evangelism and making disciples. Okay? Now, let me just first say, this is just a primer. Okay? Uh, an introductory tool. Because we can spend an entire multi-week sermon series teaching about how to share our faith and how to make disciples, right? And heads up, we're going to do that this year. 
there will be a sermon series where I help you and help all of us learn how to share the gospel with the people around us. It's coming, all right? And so this tool is just an introduction, a taste. We're just dipping our toe in the water, and then we'll dive deeper later on in the year. Okay, and so um, I'm calling this tool the five eyes. And I would recommend getting your phone out, getting a piece of paper out, writing these out, all right? Um, the five eyes. Now, I previously taught on the three eyes, which was actually about just inviting people to church, okay? Um, maybe you remember that a long time ago. Um, but I've taken the three eyes, I've expanded it to five, and I've made it more about personal evangelism and making disciples, okay? And so here are the five eyes of personal evangelism and disciple making. Do you want it? You ready for it? Okay. So the first I is identify. Everybody say identify. Okay, we first need to know who are the people in our lives who are not committed followers of Jesus. Right, who are the lost people in your life? And right now you might be able to think and, and you can envision some people that you know, friends, family members, but oftentimes, the, the very first hurdle that people encounter with this eye is that they don't know any lost people. They don't, Christians who are like, I, I can't even think of one. And so part of identify here, if you don't know any lost people, is to go find some lost people. Get around some lost people. Right? Jesus, he spent a lot of time with the lost, and they spent a lot of time with him. He dined with sinners and those deemed unholy by the religious leaders of his day. He made an effort to go to places. He traveled to different towns where no one had yet heard his message about the kingdom of God. Right? He identified those who needed saving, and he went to them. He didn't just hold a church service and say, everybody come over here. Right? He went to them. And so who are the ones who need saving in your life? If you don't know anyone... Go find them. Go find them. Make an effort to get to know the people you encounter every day. Because chances are not everyone around you is a follower of Jesus. Right? Does your barista know Jesus? What about your neighbors, your classmates, your coworkers? What about that, that parent that you see at school drop-off and pick up every single day? Or your, your kids' teachers? And we obviously can't forget our own family members. Right? Identify the lost in your life. That's the first one. The second I is intercede. Everybody say intercede. Right? Pray for the people in your life who are not committed followers of Jesus. Right? We reread in the Gospels, and this is a touching scene where Jesus, he's standing on a hill, and he's looking out over Jerusalem, and he's just weeping. He's just crying for his people praying for them to be saved because they don't recognize him as the Messiah. Uh, or Paul, speaking about the lost, he says in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, he says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Also in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul is instructing Timothy, pray for all men, all people, because it's God's desire that they will be saved. So we need to spend time more time than we probably do praying for the lost in general, but also the lost that we've identified in our own lives. We must pray that the Holy Spirit would draw them to their Savior, King Jesus. We must pray that their eyes would be open to the saving knowledge of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And listen, intercession is probably the most important of all of these eyes I'm going to share with you today. Um, 
there's a, a great quote from Oswald Chambers. Maybe you've heard it before. But he says, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Why is that? Because when we're praying for the lost to be saved, that's God's will and desire. And so you better believe that Father God is working on the lost. So you're actually partnering in prayer and what he, God wants to do. Right? Again, Jesus didn't just, um, I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead. Um, prayer, intercession. All right, third I is invest. Everybody say invest. Once you've identified someone who's lost and interceded for them, then we need to invest in them. Spend time with people in your life who are not committed followers of Jesus. Uh, effective evangelism and disciple making, it requires much investment. It's, it's not something that you can rush or hurry, right? And so investment looks like spending time, energy, and probably even some cash so that you can be with people, so that you can show them that you actually care about them and the condition of their soul. Again, Jesus, he didn't just preach sermons all the time and stand on street corners proclaiming that the kingdom of God was at hand. He spent a lot of time with the lost, showing them that he loved them and that God had these incredible things that he wanted them to have, like freedom, right, or forgiveness of sin, right relationship with God, healing, purpose, eternal life, right? And that kind of investment cannot be done in passing. It can't be. And so... Maybe you need to take that lost coworker out to lunch or out for a coffee. Or maybe you need to invite your neighbor and their family over for dinner. And during that time, okay, listen, you don't have to just jump right in to preaching the gospel with them, right? Maybe God might request that of you in that moment, maybe, but that's not usually how it works. Okay, instead, start by simply getting to know who they are. Ask them to tell you their story. And if given the chance, you tell them yours. And as you're telling your story, you're bold in saying how God has impacted your life and played a part in your life, right? And this initial get-together, it should be one of many, of many get-togethers, right? Um, and in that moment, you're asking good questions. You're trying to figure out, like, what is God's role in their life? But then you're also having the opportunity to continue sharing how God is a part of your life. And after you've, you've spent time, energy, and maybe even some cash investing in someone, you will have the opportunity, the privilege for the fourth eye, which is invite. Invite. Everybody say invite. Now, based on what we've just talked about earlier, some might think invite means to invite them to church. Okay? And this could be the case. Um, but that shouldn't be our initial goal. Right? If, if our thought is let's just invite them to church, because I know they're going to hear pastor preach the gospel and he's going to have a sermon about making disciples. Boom, I'm done. If that's our initial thought, that's not what I'm talking about here with invite. No, when we think invite, we should be thinking about us personally making the invitation to our lost friend to follow Jesus. Invite. And this is often um, a scary thought for people. Even in the room right now, I can sense you're like, oh, how do I do that? Can I do that? Yes, you can. You can, right? But it shouldn't be scary for you. Okay, let, let me help you make it not so scary. Because think about the process that we've gone through so far. You've identified this lost person. You've done the, the much important work of interceding for them to be saved. And so again, you know God is, is on your side. 
He's working with you to see this person drawn to him. Right? You've also invested in them, and they've allowed you to invest in them over a period of time, which means that they've issued some kind of trust with you. They've given you access into their lives. And in that investment, you've not only shown them the love of God, but you've been bold to, to speak the love of God and how God has impacted your life. And if they still want to hang out with you after all of that and allow you to invest in their lives after you have been so bold in talking about God, that's a pretty good sign. That's a pretty good sign, isn't it? By that point, they're no longer just a lost person. Right? They're a friend. They're a friend. Someone that you genuinely care about and who probably cares about you. And so asking this friend really simple questions like, have you ever thought about following Jesus? Right, what's keeping you from being a Christian right now? Or saying things like, hey, you should follow Jesus. You should. Or your life would be even better if you committed to following Jesus in your life. Asking and saying those simple things, it shouldn't be scary. Right? They should come easy because of everything that's gone into the friendship up until that point. And with everything that's gone into it, do you really think that if you asked those questions, said those things, that they would turn around and say to you, how dare you ask me a question about Jesus? How dare you be so bold and talk to me about Jesus that way? And then storm off and they want nothing to do with you ever again? Right? That, that's silly if we really think about it. Right? The worst that will happen is this. They'll say, you know, I'm not really interested in following Jesus right now. But are we still good for coffee next week? Because I love you, man. I care about you. You know? And the best thing that could happen is that they'll say, yes, I am interested in following Jesus. And then all of the angels in heaven will be rejoicing and praising God and having this epic dance party. And then the middle ground thing that could happen is they'll say, you know what, I don't know. I'm not sure yet. I'd like to hear more. Can you tell me more about what following Jesus looks like? But listen, you can avoid the no by simply not inviting, not, not asking making the invitation, but at the same time, you're avoiding the yes and the middle ground if you don't make the invitation. None of those will happen unless you make the invitation. All right, but let's say that you do make the invitation to follow Jesus, and they say yes, woo, right? Or actually, no, I'm sorry, back up, wrong way. Right, they say no, thank you, right? I'm not interested. Do you then turn around and say, how dare you? Fine. I'm done with you. I'm wasting my time. No, you keep being their friend, and you actually repeat the first three eyes all over again, right? You, you continue to identify, oh, they're still not following Jesus yet. You continue to intercede for them. You continue to invest until God gives the opportunity for the fourth eye again to invite them again. Because sometimes, maybe you've seen this personally, sometimes it takes a little longer for people to finally open up to God and the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. But when they do, wouldn't you want to be there to invite them again and welcome them into the kingdom of God? Absolutely. Right, so we don't give up. We keep identifying. We keep interceding. We, we keep investing until the day comes, if God will give it to us, that we get to invite them again. Right, and once someone does accept the invitation to follow Jesus, woo, right? All of, um, all of the eyes, um, I'm sorry, then comes the next eye. Uh, the, the last I, which is impart. Everybody say impart. You teach them everything that you know about what it means to follow Jesus. 
It doesn't even have to be a lot. You teach them everything that you know about what it means to follow Jesus. And then maybe you invite them again into a community where other people can partner with you in teaching and discipling and showing them what it means to follow Jesus. Right? Impart. And not only do you impart your, your information, your knowledge, but you walk with them along the journey as they follow Jesus. And listen, this impartation is really easy if you're still growing spiritually. Right? If you're still learning and being discipled, then you should always have something to impart. Right? This, this is what disciple-making looks like. And oftentimes, in disciple-making, you're still repeating all of these eyes all over again. Right? Because making disciples requires that we identify areas in a person's life where they need to grow. Right? We never stop interceding for them. We continue our investment in them. And we're always inviting them and challenging them to walk in greater spiritual practice and understanding of God. And and along the way, we're imparting what we're learning as we're growing in our faith and as we're being discipled. And hopefully, um, part of the impartation will be imparting the, the five eyes or something like it, right? So that they can then take on personal responsibility for personal evangelism and disciple-making in their own lives, and then the cycle starts all over again and all over again. Do you see it? And we'll have generations of followers of Jesus, spiritual legacy for many years to come. Right? So listen, you can do this. You need to say that to yourself right now. I can do this. Right? These five eyes, they're not that hard, are they? They're pretty easy once you kind of really go through it and think about it. You can do this. And I truly do believe that when we practice these five eyes and teach others to practice them, then God's vision, God's vision for his kingdom being like this global ecosystem, a massive wild forest growing and spreading all throughout the world, I believe it will become reality. That cycle of spiritual growth, seed, root, growth, and fruit, it will continue over and over and over again for many generations until Jesus does finally come back and establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Right? But we can't settle for backyard gardens. We can't settle for seedless fruit. Right? Only when we grab a hold of God's vision, God's plan, God's way of growing his kingdom will we actually see the kingdom grow, not only in our lives, but through us and in the world around us. Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you. Thank you.